Hello from the Financial Times in London. I'm Patrick Jenkins and this is News in Focus, where we offer our insights into the stories that matter. The London Stock Exchange has confirmed that it is in advanced talks to buy Refinitiv in a $27 billion deal that would turn it into a global exchanges and data powerhouse. Well, here with me to discuss the proposed deal is Arash Masoudi, who led the team that broke the story late last week. Arash, this deal comes at an interesting time for the LSE, doesn't it? It's had quite a good run in terms of its share price of late, but had been casting around for a kind of new identity, certainly up till a year or two ago. Tell us the background of the deal. What's the rationale? Yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, the London Stock Exchange sits at the heart of the city of London. It's an institution that dates back 300 and some odd years. People like to associate stock exchanges with where business happens, this sort of magical place where, you know, people with telephones match orders and these stock listings and it's glorious. But in reality, stock exchange businesses are among the least attractive businesses in the transactions game. The IPO listings that you see on, you know, the Wall Street floors, whatever, it's all just theater to make investors feel like there's some action. Really, these are just business processing companies. And that business processing has become less and less attractive over the years. So what the London Stock Exchange has been trying to do under previous leadership of Xavier Rollet, a French Goldman Sachs banker who took over and ran it for eight years until he was ousted in December of 2017, was really diversify its business by adding data and ancillary services, which again, super boring, but way more valuable and higher margin and where valuations have soared in the industry. And so the London Stock Exchange has been changing over time to look more and more like that. But it attempted to become a powerhouse in Europe three years ago by merging with its German rival, Deutsche Börse, and create this European champion in exchanges. But that deal fell apart due to a block from Brussels and probably was given its, if you want to think of a poison tip arrow that slowly infects its wounds into a deal when Britain voted to leave the EU. And that arrow basically poisoned the deal. And that deal collapsed and Brussels ultimately blocked it. Some people like to blame French lobbying, but there are many reasons for why that didn't happen. And then Xavier Rollet had this bust up where he was kicked essentially out of the company. And he was replaced in April of 2018 by another Goldman Sachs banker called David Schwimmer, no relation to the guy who played Ross in Friends, who took over and has been steering the company since then. And actually, its shares have performed quite well. Yeah, absolutely. It's had a really good run, which we'll come to in a second, because that's very significant. But I guess what has happened in that period is it's being rewarded for the pretty decent acquisition, smaller acquisitions than the Deutsche Börse deal might have been, but the kind of deals that Xavier Rollet pioneered, bringing it into the data space, as you say. What Refinitiv does is really consolidates that shift in profile, doesn't it? Tell us exactly what Refinitiv brings. So Refinitiv is the old Thomson Reuters finance and risk analytics business. What that actually means beyond the jargon is that a Canadian company called Thomson Reuters had this huge business, which includes the Icon terminals, which are the ubiquitous number two to much more attractive and more expensive and more statusy Bloomberg terminals. And these things are distribution mechanisms that look like computers that are loaded up with data. And for instance, with the Icon terminal that are really core to like commodities traders, currencies traders, fixed income traders, who basically get a lot of various feeds of info and then use them to transact on a daily basis. And they charge an annual subscription fee to this data. So that's part of the business. And then there's all these different things like compliance, check data, you know, all these different little bits and bobs of data that are part of the refinitive business, which probably comprise about 75% of the $6.5 billion of revenue. 
value in the business. The other 20, 25% is some combination of risk businesses and trading venues. So they own a majority stake in TradeWeb, which is a fixed income trading platform, which listed in April in the US and now has a valuation of about $11 billion, majority owned by Refinitiv and the rest by banks. And FXL, which is a major currency trading platform, which until recently, Refinitiv was in talks with Deutsche Borsa itself to sell to for three, three and a half billion. That deal is now dead. Yeah, Deutsche Börse said as recently as last week, I think, that they were very confident of buying this business very soon. Yes. They look rather as if they've got egg on their on, face. On now. Saturday, they put out a statement saying, we note some recent news and we suspect that our FX discussions will not be that successful. <laughs> Tell us whether this is going to be the defining moment for David Schwimmer. As you say, he's the new LSE chief executive, been there, what, a little more than a year. What's going to be the view of this move from him? Well, if the initial reaction is to be judged, the market really likes the deal. Shares in the LSE are up 15% on Monday. That is an interesting reaction given that the LSE is going to be paying for the entire transaction through its own shares. So you'd think this would be dilutive to shareholders and the stock would fall. But what you're seeing from the stock price is investors like the idea of this further transformation of the LSE away from the London Stock Exchange, the Italian bourse, away from the clearing business, which is still quite attractive for it, but into this much deeper data profile. You can see that there's a real story here. And it's defining in the sense that when David Schwimmer came along, everyone just assumed he'd be there to sell the company to Intercontinental Exchange, one of his former clients from two decades ago when he was at Goldman Sachs. And instead, what he's done is create a company, if this deal closes, that will look a lot more like those companies and be competitive with the CME Group, with ICE, with the Hong Kong exchanges and clearing its major rivals. And it'll arguably be acquisition proof, won't it? There's no way that something like ICE could buy the LSE once it had become this big. Yeah, LSE before today's open had about $19.3 billion market capitalization in sterling and about a billion in debt. After this deal, it will be significantly bigger and have a much larger enterprise value by virtue of the fact that it's acquiring quite a bit of debt. Yeah, more than doubles, basically, doesn't it? Exactly. Talking about that debt, is that a problem? Is a 12 billion pile of debt in the refinitive business largely as a result of the way it was bought out from the old Thomson Reuters business a year or so ago by Blackstone? Well, this is what's fascinating here because there's this big discussion today whether Thomson Reuters looks like a bunch of not very bright individuals. They look like they've sold a business for $20 billion in January of 2018, a deal that valued it at $20 billion, to a private equity consortium led by Blackstone which is now worth 27, some 12 months since that deal closed. But the flip side is perhaps Thomson Reuters did not have the capabilities to engineer what Blackstone was able to do. Blackstone would surely have you believe that. And the flip side is Thomson Reuters structured the deal in a quite an attractive way for itself. So let's take a look at that transaction because it's very important to understanding today's news. So what Blackstone agreed to do was with two other investors, Singapore's GIC, which is the state sovereign fund, and a Canadian pension fund, CPBIB, they put $3 billion of equity into the deal and a billion of preferred equity. So they put about $4 billion of their own money into the transaction. They then borrowed $13.5 billion, and they put that on the Refinitiv books, and they paid Thomson Reuters effectively 17 and change to buy Refinitiv. That deal valued the entire asset that became Refinitiv and rebranded as Refinitiv at $20 billion, with Thomson Reuters owning 45% of that. So if you think about it, the investors have 55%, Thomson Reuters has 45%. What they would then set about doing was basically firing as many people as possible in the classic private equity fashion. A lot of these jobs at the company were structured in London and New York. Those jobs were offshored or sent away or just shut down. Things were rationalized in a way that only private equity does, a sort of quick and ruthless fashion. What that does is it brings up the cash flow and the EBITDA of the business, which they then use to pay down the debt. Indeed, that 13, 14 and a half billion of debt now sits at 12 billion. So they've already paid down some of that. So 
in a sense, the debt was crucial to letting the private equity guys do something they wouldn't have been able to do and afford. And the London Stock Exchange would not have been able to afford to pay what it's paying today 18 months ago. Because its share price was that much lower. Exactly. The share price ride has, has helped give it the acquisition currency, if you will, to do this. Now, Thomson Reuters did a couple things quite smartly. One, they agreed this 30-year agreement with the consortium that bought Refinitiv, that Refinitiv itself would fund the Reuters newsroom, which is what our readers probably most associate with Thomson Reuters, which is, in fact, the least attractive part of their business. They have a bunch of other businesses, which are the reason why their shares have done quite well. And their own share price has basically been a proxy for the success of Refinitiv. If you look Thomson Reuters business, there isn't that much exciting going on besides the fact that it owns a 45% stake in Refinitiv. And over the last 12 months, their own shares have climbed quite a bit. So clearly, Blackstone was able to achieve something that Thomson Reuters' own company could not. The other thing Blackstone did was that it listed TradeWeb, which was the fixed income platform, which was you know, this tangled ownership with banks who are notoriously hard to wrangle. But Blackstone can step in in front of all the banks and say, I'm a major client of yours, and you are going to fall into line if you ever want to make fees from us. And that sort of leverage it has as a sort of titan of private equity above the banks, and they're so desperate to make fees off them. They basically whipped them all into line and were able to achieve this listing of TradeWeb, which now values the refinitive stake at five and a half billion. So what they've done is they've done some pretty interesting things in terms of rearranging the business and doing things that Thomson Reuters had not been able to do. One interesting quirk, just as a little aside here, is Thomson Reuters, you said, have they been dumb or not? One thing that suggests that maybe they haven't been that dumb is that there was an interesting change of control clause written into the deal, wasn't there, that gives them a boost to their ownership yeah, uh, so as a result of this. So basically, they own 45% of Refinitiv. If there's a change of control, they actually own 47.5. So what that effectively means is in this transaction, they're doing okay. They're going to become a major shareholder in the London Stock Exchange. The consortium and Thomson Reuters will hold their shares all together in one pool, which will be the refinitive stake. And through the deal, they'll have about 37% of the new company. But their voting rights will be kept below 30% because otherwise that would have triggered a mandatory takeover bid by the consortium for the LSE. So their voting rights are being diluted to prevent them from being in a situation where they have to bid for the company. So what the shareholders are going to agree when this deal is finalized is a lockup which will prevent them from selling their shares and making sure that it aligns their interests with the existing LSE shareholders. Now, that will be for a specific period of time, and obviously they'll have an opportunity to sell down at that point. But what this is is essentially turning Refinitiv into the largest single shareholder in the LSE, but with an agreement that they will not dispose of their stake, or maybe they'll dispose of it in small fractions over time, but it will not be an immediate withdrawal. They're doing this very much because they think they can make more money as a part of a larger company. And by the way, that initial $4 billion investment, the three equity and the one debt by Blackstone, was now worth eight before the stock price jumped today. So if you're looking at from a Blackstone investor point of view, they just doubled $4 billion in 12 months, which is pretty much the savviest you can get in the private equity game. It's not bad. What can go wrong from here? Obviously, they haven't announced the deal. They've confirmed your story that they're in advance talks. We expect it to be announced within a matter of days. Even if it is announced, though, even if nothing comes in the way to thwart it, what could go wrong at that point? Well, there's going to be a pretty lengthy antitrust review. I'm still wrapping my head around what bits of data, and I think this is going to be a bit complicated because the portfolio is sprawling. But there will be an antitrust review that will take at least 12 to 18 months, and if they're lucky, this deal will close in the second half of 2020. It could go far longer. So these days in big deal making, antitrust is among the most complicated things and the visibility on this stuff is always hard. And the bankers will have you believe that everything's easy and everything's doable, but ultimately it's down to the regulators who they don't control. 
So that's a major, major impediment. The second is some sort of deterioration in the UK market probably wouldn't help the situation. Although, again, just because it's called the London Stock Exchange these days, it's probably more sentimental than anything. You know, this deal will turn it into a much more global business, less reliant on London, less reliant on many of the things that potentially are going to go wrong here if there's a hard Brexit or something that destabilizes the country even further than it already is. Maybe a signpost for the rest of the City of London. We will see. Thanks, Arash, and thank you for listening. Don't forget, if you missed our recent episodes on Jamal Khashoggi's fiancé and her search for justice, Boris Johnson's Brexit deadline or India's credit crunch, you can find them all on the usual podcast platforms. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.